I'm Rico. And I'm Jessica. And this is the Always the Critic podcast where a couple of friends review the latest movies, except we literally have zero qualifications to do so. Jessica, this is part three Bruh. of Call Me Bond. Yes. Uh, so we are tackling not one, but two different Bonds. We are, yes. In this we episode, are. Uh, we've been handling a lot of movies condensed in each episode like it, it, yes, it's a lot have. it yeah uh i believe how many was connery connery by himself was i think was six it seven or seven because there was the george lazenby bond so That's seven true. movies seven movies. and then eight movies in the last episode yep. for roger moore and connery once again so so six we, is a breeze six movies this time around uh, it did take a lot out of me, though. Like I will say, I I do not blame you because when um, we start talking about, especially the later <laughs> movies in this episode, oh my ooh, god, boy, ooh, All right. boy, I can't wait to All talk right. about it. But before me we start neither. talking about it, if this is your first time listening, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Podcasts, and many more. And if you do like us, go ahead and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts because five stars goes a long way for us. Come and say hi on social media and you can stay up to date on our latest episodes and reviews. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at AlwaysCriticPod. Lastly, if you're a fan, please consider becoming a patron for as little as $2 a month. It's such a great way for you to get involved and show your support. You can check out the page on Patreon.com slash AlwaysCriticPod. So the reason why we are doing this Bond series is because No Time to Die is arriving in theaters on October 8th. And we've been meaning to take a trip down memory lane and actually watch every single Bond movie leading up to this newest film. So actually, if you are listening to this right now, we did release it on the day that No Time to Die is releasing. So you're catching a little bit of the fragments because... Daniel Craig episode is coming up really soon in your podcast feed. So again, it gets a little weird with some of the Bond movies. Some of them get really dumb. Some of them kind of are in the series. So right now on today's episode, we are going to tackle two different Bonds. We are going to tackle Timothy Dalton and Pierce Brosnan. So uh, let's go ahead and start off with Timothy Dalton. Uh, Let's Tim, do it. He takes over in 1987. His first film is The Living Daylights. Fun fact. Before Timothy Dalton started as Bond. You're so under, like you're tickled by whatever you're about to tell me. Pierce Brosnan was hired for the role. Oh. He was given the role. Oh, no. So he was on a show called Remington Steel in the 80s. It was kind of like a action show. It, it, it kind of led to everybody saying, oh, he would make a great James Bond because it right, kind right, of right. like led everything. So NBC canceled the show. Like the show was done. And so then he gets hired to be Bond. And at the last minute, NBC decides to uncancel the show. They resurrected the show. And now he's stuck in a contract, so he can't play Bond. <gasps> so then comes Timothy Dalton. That is so rude. <laughs> oh, it's completely rude. It's, oh, my God. It is ridiculous. It is <laughs> insane that 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 happened, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, so we mentioned earlier that Pierce Brosnan's wife did also play a role in a prior 
Bond film. She was in Octopussy, yeah. Exactly. So just like the breadcrumbs were leading to Brosnan and it like everything was lined up for him and then it was <laughs> yanked away. But don't worry, not for too long. We'll, we'll get to that in a little while. So let's talk about Dalton. Before we talk about the movies themselves. All right. How do you feel about Dalton's portrayal of Bond? Ooh, so I feel like Dalton is taking it very seriously. Yes, I agree He's with that. He's a very angsty, serious, no puns, barely any fun, thinly veiled rage at all mm, times. Yeah. That is Timothy Dalton's Th- yeah. Bond. I agree with you on that rage part. Like there are moments- yes. When he unleashes, like, you could see it in his eyes or you could he's see it. He's, like, about to murder someone with his face. Like, he's so angsty and emotional in that way. Yes. So it's highly, I mean, going from Roger Moore to Timothy Dalton, you're, it's like culture shock. Almost night and day. It is night and day. Pretty much. And I would say that he... He doesn't have the same type of charm as like a Connery or Moore. Like both of those guys no. are very charming. But I do lo- In their way. In their way, exactly. In their <laughs> own specific ways. But I do appreciate Dalton's approach because it is definitely different and it is I do like the action center that these movies have. I would agree with that. Yeah. They're a little more like like you said, they take themselves a little more seriously than the more movies. Uh, there's still, you know, a, a little s- couple of silly moments here and there, but they are trying to be a little more grounded, not as almost like a farce, like the way more ended his run where like, <laughs> you know, in the streets of Venice, like with a motorized, <laughs> uh, you know, boat, it was ridiculous. So I think that, it may not be the most ideal Bond, but he does have some similarities to the way Craig kind of I was going to say that. Is that, it, you know, Timothy Dalton walked so that Daniel Craig could run. Yes, I, I do agree with that. So we kind of get a glimpse of what we now are seeing with the Bond character in today's present. So I wonder how – actually, we don't even have to wonder because apparently – a lot of the critiques of his portrayal are what people, you know, love about Craig. Right. Which, you know, he, he I don't was think in the wrong fair. era. He was in the wrong era. I do think he was kind of ahead of his time and that maybe the stunts and the CGI weren't there to kind of help the action along. Mm-hmm. Right. In a way that the Daniel Craig ones rely on a lot exactly so i feel bad i feel bad for timothy dalton i think he got the short end of the stick i think he came out of it from a theater perspective because he was a theater actor he's a theater yeah theatrically trained Mm -hmm. actor and uh i mean you feel it you feel it when you're watching him on screen he's just kind of intense Yes, he is. And he even said in interviews that he he read the book, so he didn't use Connery <laughs> or Moore as inspiration. So he kind of liked the way he envisioned the way he read the books. 
So he kind of wanted to take that slightly darker approach to playing the character. So let's go ahead. Let's talk about the first one. So the first movie is The Living Daylights from 1987. Jessica, what is this particular movie about? James Bond is sent to investigate a KGB policy to kill all enemy spies and uncovers an arms deal that potentially has major global ramifications. It's directed by John Glenn, written by Richard Maybaum. He's come back again for screenplay cred. And Michael Wilson also wrote the screenplay. So starring alongside Timothy Dalton in this movie is Miriam Dabo, who plays Kara Milovi. Uh, we have Juren Krupp. I always have a hard time with his name, but uh, he plays General uh, Georgi Koskov. He uh-huh. also is from The Fugitive. He was the enemy doctor for Dr. Richard Kimball. Oh. <laughs> John Mulaney has an entire joke about him running in on him. You switched the All samples. Right. Anyway, so he was the other <laughs> doctor. Uh, we also have John Reese davies who plays General oh, yeah. Leonin Pushkin. Uh, yeah, General he, Pushkin. That is Sala. From the Indiana Jones series, for those who don't know. Uh, All right. So let's start with the beginning. So we'll start with the song. Uh, This song, same title, The Living Daylights, performed by 80s band AHA. What did you think of the song? Very groovy, but super forgettable. It's groovy. It is of its time because it does Mm -hmm. have like a lot of that synth work that is very popular with the 80s. In the 80s, yeah. So it does mark it in time. Mm -hmm. I find it better than the other one that we heard earlier in the decade by Duran Duran. It's better than that one. Yes. (laughs) Uh, But like you said, somewhat forgettable. I I don't think it would make anyone's like top list, but it's not going to fall at the bottom of anyone's list either. You know, so it's just like right in the middle. And that's forgettable territory. It's just like the middle. (laughs) Yes. Kind of stinks for it. It's not good. Not bad. Right. Exactly. So uh, the movie has a 74% rating by critics, 66% by audience. The critics' consensus, newcomer Timothy Dalton plays James Bond with a more seriousness than preceding installments, and the result is exciting and colorful, but occasionally humorless. I think that's the big takeaway. That is the big takeaway. He's not huge on like puns or anything like that, like his previous uh, Bond actors. Mm. All right, so the movie itself, I found myself enjoying a lot of it. I th- okay. Because I I didn't have a problem with his portrayal, although I did miss a little bit of the humor because every Bond movie, at least up until now, has had a bit of humor to it where Bond will unleash a couple of lines here and there or we get some funny action sequences or maybe some like ridiculous over the top stuff. You don't get like too crazy crazy, although uh, the opening sequence when they like drive that truck off of the cliff, he <laughs> parachutes onto a boat where a woman is like, oh, there's no men here. And then, bam, yeah, he lands she's right compl- on it. <laughs> complaining that she needs a real man. <laughs> and then Bond drops down on her yacht. Oh, yes. Perfect. So, um, I think that the training exercise gone wrong at the beginning is really memorable to me personally. Yeah, it, it is. Because... They are kind of taking a line out from previous Bond's movies where they hide Bond for like a hot minute before he's revealed. And so 
you get this, oh, training exercise. Um, we're competing against another, you know, military branch and don't let me down. It's only double O's like going on this mission. So which where you know, which double O is he? Like, where is he? Parachuting down onto like a cliff side and it goes wrong. Like they start getting taken out. Yeah, straight up murder. It's no longer straight like up a murder. training exercise. It's yes. a straight up murder so assassination something, plot. Exactly. So something is up. And when Dalton turns around toward the camera, I literally was like, yes, I already liked his vibe. I was already like gelling with it. So I was pretty much all in with Dalton from his intro. And then the rest of the movie was just kind of like middling and not remarkable, really. So let's let's touch on that. So I think... With every Bond movie, let's talk about the villain. Uh, here it's uh, General Koskov. Yes. Uh, the movie kind of implies that early on they tried to misdirect you by saying like Pushkin is the villain. But, yeah. you know, then it turns out that he works alongside Bond for a while. He's really being framed. Exactly. Pushkin is being framed by the General Koskov who is defecting. But not really. But not really. He's still part of it. Uh, I think that his character tries to come off as like this intelligent, you know, foe for Bond. But it never quite sticks as like, oh, I find him like a real threat. Right. Yeah. It it just falls flat. Like he's trying too hard to be like the smartest guy in the room. But it doesn't really work. He's not. But he's not. (laughs) He's not. It doesn't really work uh, in this context. How about the Bond girl in this one, Kara uh, Milovi? She was like a cellist uh, who was basically told to attempt assassination. Okay, okay. okay. So <laughs> she was introduced as a Russian sniper. No, she's not. She doesn't know what the hell she's doing. She was there for show. Uh, her boyfriend is Koskov, and or she's like a mistress of some sort. She loves him. She's super young. And it just, she wants to take her cello on the run with them. <laughs> so like, okay. Yeah. Very, uh, I think she slows down the movie, I would say. Is oh, that the okay. intrigue you feel with her backstory and, oh, she's not really a sniper. And, you know, why is she being, um, trying to be assassinated? Like people are trying to kill her. Why? She knows too much. What does she know? All that is just kind of watered down by the actress herself and like her portrayal so i didn't i didn't like that part i think that the actress herself is i mean she's not great you know uh, you know in this part that they give her um i think that you could say that about a lot of uh Bond girls like they're not right. great or or they're kind of just there as almost like set dressing in a way they just yes. there to you know for whatever Bond is going to do you get the general sense that Dalton is acting around her mm, yeah okay I hear you on that. and so I don't like that either is that Dalton is acting circles around her and he's just kind of like okay she's not giving me a lot so I'm gonna like turn up the intensity and uh That didn't sit well with me. So, again, the best parts were, like, 
they ski down a mountainside on her cello case. <laughs> and, and he the- uses her cello as like cover because they're being shot at. As an oar as well. Yeah, that was hilarious. You know, that was hysterical to me. I was like, I haven't seen that before in a Bond movie. There is a funny uh, bit, though, that I did find very funny was when they're crossing the border while they're sledding. He like throws the cello over the guard bar and he like yells out, we have nothing to report. And he like catches (laughs) it and just starts using it as an oar again. Yeah, yeah. So... There's some funny stuff here. Oh, but Money Penny has the funniest line though. Ah, go ahead. So there's a new Money Penny. Yes, there is. She's young, she's blonde, and she says to Bond, "Anytime you want to drop by and listen to my Barry Manilow collection." And he says nothing in return, and I thought that was hysterical. But then he <laughs> follows up the beat of silence. He follows up the beat of silence by I think slapping her ass off screen. Oh. There is a noise, there like you don't see it, there but I'm like, noise. is that an ass slap? And then she sighs as he walks away, and I'm like, mm, that didn't end quite Not well. the way that I thought it would have no. ended, because of the way the interaction was going. I was like, what a going. funny line from Money Penny, and then they don't end it well at all. No, they don't. So, I think overall, at the end of this movie, uh, finds Bond... They're able to capture, obviously, uh, Koskov, and they get Pushkin in on the on the plot, and it's like we're gonna send you on a diplomatic flight in a bag, and like I guess the, the point was they're gonna kill him off screen, but like yes, we don't really um, see that, so it's kind of like okay. No. There was something about diamonds in the mix as well, and arms dealing. And opium rings. Yes, there was an opium So ring. all that was thrown in for good measure. I don't really care right. about any of that. No, because it, it it the way the movie progresses doesn't make it that interesting. It's not interesting and it like overcomplicates the plot. Yeah, exactly. So I think with that, we could go ahead and we could wrap up on The Living Daylights. What did you give The Living Daylights as a score? I gave it a two out of five. Wow, that's uh, lower it's than me low. for sure. Yeah. I gave it a three because I thought I, there was there was enough in the movie, action wise and Dalton's performance. You know, there was enough where I I found enjoyment. I just don't find myself ever returning to this movie. Fair enough. All right, so let's go and jump ahead to 1989, where we are going to talk about the first Bond that is rated PG-13. License to Kill. Wow. Yeah. So, Jessica, what is License to Kill about? After capturing a drug lord, Felix Later is left for dead and his wife is murdered. James Bond goes rogue and seeks revenge, uh, vengeance sorry, on those responsible as he infiltrates an organization posing as a hitman. It is directed by John Glenn, written by Richard Maybaum and Michael Wilson, Again, stars Timothy Dalton, and it also stars Robert Davi as Franz Sanchez, Carrie Lowell as Pam Bovier, Talisa Soto as Lupe Lamora, and Benicio del Toro as Dario. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to me, that was a surprise because I didn't know me that too, he had been in a Bond movie. So that was uh, pretty good. Uh, the Rotten Tomatoes score, 78%, close to the first one. 61% audience, which is just a little bit lower. 
Uh, and the critics' consensus states, License to Kill is darker than many of the other Bond entries, with Timothy Dalton playing the character with intensity, but it still has some solid chases and fight scenes. All right, so just like every other movie, we do have a Bond song. This one is sung by Gladys Knight, License to Kill. What did you think of the song? Not the worst Bond song. <laughs> Not the worst Bond song. <laughs> but it is very 90s R&B. Yeah, this is like when that when R&B is starting to take form just like normal R&B songs that you hear from the 90s. Yes. This is the very beginning of it. Um, I think... I felt that. <laughs> Gladys Knight is a great singer, obviously. And the song... You know, you can groove your head to it a bit, but at the end of the day, it's just like a a solid R&B track that you can take or leave, kind of. Gets lost. Yeah, it gets lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now, let's go ahead and let's talk about the movie itself. So, let's start with the villain here. So, this movie is supposed to take place, like, in the area of, like, Bimini, Bahamas. It like, looked like there was a seven mile bridge at some it point. It really did. It I was lo- like, that looks like Florida. It looks like I, Florida. Yeah. Like it felt like, you know what it was? It felt like Florida. Miami Vice. Miami Vice. That's what it felt like. It was clearly, in. I mean, it took inspiration, copied Miami Vice vibes. Yeah, because 100%. Miami Vice was one of the biggest shows in From America. From 1984 to 1990. Yeah, right It was there. right in this smack dab in this era. So the movie does kind of feel like a response to the show. Yes, yes. Um, all right, so let's start with the villain. We okay. have Fran Sanchez, played by Robert Davi. He is in Die Hard. He is one of the FBI agents and died. Um, more importantly, he's one of the Fratellis yes, from the Goonies. From the Goonies. So <laughs> this man has legendary roles that yes. we remember. What did you think of his villain character? I liked his character. So did I. I liked his character a lot. Um, I think that maybe he should have been more crazy i don't know i don't know how to put it i think that the opening of him like his introduction mm-hmm. is really strong with him beating the mistress yeah that's with like, tough what did he have like a switch or something that was yeah like, it was in it his looked pocket. like a mangrove root that was in his jacket like i don't know how was he carrying that or does that is that a thing that he does carry it around so that was really brutal and then we don't quite see like that um, menacing ruthlessness ruthlessness the rest of the movie no we don't i think that a lot of, i think i don't know if it's because of his presence but i feel like he to me at least has been one of the more memorable villains just mm. because you feel like his character is always like thinking about all right Something can happen here i need to be ahead of the game i need to make sure i know everything that's going on so he mm-hmm. feels like he's always like in his mind working. Like right. he gives off that feel. It's a little bit proactive yes. versus like I'm going to stick to my plan and no one's going to get in my way. Right. Like of course someone's going to get in my way. Let's pivot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So and then along his side, his henchman is Benicio Del Toro's Dario. Oh, my God. Did you? Oh, my God. His line where the friend says, where's my wife? And Benito de Toro says, don't worry. We gave her a nice honeymoon. 
moon. <laughs> oh my god. The freaking chills that ran through my spine. Oh man, that was so good. How dare he? That was And you know he was like, I have like two, three lines in this movie. I just have to make count. Yeah. It's so and early he, in the his career. The honeymoon line. Oh my god. That is memorable. Just oh, it is. the way he delivers that line. <laughs> So, yeah, he doesn't get a lot of lines, but he does get some action moments here and there. There's the moment. He gets grinded up at the end. Yes, he does. He has that moment in the middle of the bar where all hell Mm -hmm. breaks loose in that Mm -hmm. bar. Someone tries to impale another person with like a swordfish like that was hanging off the wall. (laughs) So there's some of the silliness with Bond Were they in Flanagan's? (laughs) Flanagan's. I'm just joking. <laughs> it did have a Flanagan's uh, vibe. It did have a Flanagan's on. vibe. For those people from South Florida, the green cups, you guys know. Flanagan's. Uh, okay. Bond girls. So, There's two of them. Well, so let's of. begin with the, the wife that gets murdered. Oh, okay. Sure. Because she like gives him the garter, which yes. I don't like that tradition, but whatever. No, she gives him terrible. the garter. And um, she doesn't know this, but the friend volunteers this information. He was married once. And oh, my God, they're referencing Tracy from On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yes. The one George Lazenby movie yeah. where he gets married. They, It's it's so they, weird sometimes. It's so like they just mention it in passing. Yeah. Like to really establish that this is the same character. It is. So, yeah. So I, I find that to be cool in a way like you reference some of the older movies you make references to them yeah um, oh my god the other reference lord um actually no this isn't a reference this will be a reference for another movie so q brings a palm programmer so only bond can use the gun they do that in freaking skyfall yes they do <laughs> they bring back that gun they uh, yes they do like I can't wait to talk about Craig's movies. Oh, my God. Stop. Don't uh, get me all riled up about the Daniel Craig movies. Okay. We'll get to that, though. They filmed at Ernest Hemingway's house in Key West. Of course they did. Of course. <laughs> the cats were everywhere. I was like, oh, my God. This is like a Florida movie. It really is. Because it, it like is in Key movie. West at, at a certain point, even though they may not like heavily reference it. But it's mm-hmm. it's a Florida movie, without a doubt. Yeah. All right. So this one, I I will say like on the whole, this one felt totally different from previous Bond movies because instead of having an official mission, he's on a personal vendetta. Yeah. He gets his license to kill revoked. Yes. They're like turning your badge. Like it's like a whole freaking thing. I actually like the fact that it's so different in that way. That they in a sense, yeah. Because every movie is just like, oh, here's the mission, blah blah blah. Here's Q with your gadgets and yeah, and, all and that. in particular in the Roger Moore movies, they would start off his briefing by saying, "What do you know about this?" And Roger Moore knows all there is about whatever it is. Because of course. Because of course, but they like do away with that in starting with Dalton. Really, yeah. They don't have like an all-knowing bond anymore. No, the bond has to be told the information now, like right. what his mission's gonna be. And so that I appreciated that, like something different to, you know, get us out of like the same routine of like, here's the mission, go complete the mission, the mission's complete. Having like him be turned It was personal. On, yeah. Was uh pretty good. I do enjoy yeah. that. Uh the Bond girls themselves, uh they're fine. Uh, be- this one, she was, um, what's her name? Well, Carrie Lowell? 
Is that her? That's her real name in the movie. She's Pam Bovier. Pam Bovier. So Pam Bovier is a badass with a shotgun. Yeah, she is. She saves him in the bar. Yeah. And she has some like nice feminist dialogue at one point. He introduces her as his executive secretary. And she goes, uh, why can't you be my executive secretary? Hey. Like she gets mad. And yeah. then he goes, haha, we're south of the border. It's a man's world. Oh my God. <laughs> and I'm like, oh God, ruins it. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, I think that him ending up with her in the end made the most sense because they had, like, they actually had chemistry between the two of yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. I think they did have some chemistry between them and way more than the other Bond girl. Yeah, who Lupe. Is Lupe. Lupe. What does she say? She says, if anything happens to James, I don't know what I'll do. I love James so much. Yeah, I remember that. She doesn't even know him a little bit. So it made no sense why she was so attached. Here's what I will say about that character. I don't think she actually loves him. I think that she knows how to attach herself to powerful men. Because if you notice, like she has been with like throughout the movie, she is alongside a different man at different points like even like the president of i think it was a country towards the end of the movie mm-hmm. so she, i don't think it's love i think it's just infatuation in the moment so she knows how to no go. absolutely i'm not saying yeah, that she yeah. truly loves him but, but at the same time like that. she's such a like que dramatica, you know yeah what I'm she's super dramatic I, I don't know if they're trying to pass her off as hispanic uh, it kind of seemed like they were yeah it kind of seemed like they her were. accent seemed very I don't know. It seemed like Hispanic a bit. A bit. So overall, I think that I I enjoy this movie. Like not like it's like one of the greatest, but I did enjoy this movie. What did you give the movie a score? I initially gave it a two, but I'll push it to a two and a half. Okay. I pushed it up to a three and a half. Oh. Yeah. So mine is. Yeah. Mine's uh, kind of up there. Um, A solid score from me, at least. Uh, better than better than the Living Daylights. Um, so out of the two Dalton movies, I prefer this one over the Living Daylights. I prefer License to Kill uh, mm. overall. What I like about the villain Lossley is two things. One, they gave him a, an iguana to put on his shoulder, <laughs> which I was like, <laughs> that's original. And he had the puns. He did. He uh, he kills a guy by sticking him in a pressure chamber and it explodes him. But there's a bunch of money, like millions of dollars in the pressure chamber with the guy. <laughs> and one of the henchmen goes, what do we do with the money? And he goes, launder it. And you're just like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, that's actually that not fantastic. bad at all. Yeah, I know. I know. So those are our thoughts on License to Kill. And with that, we say goodbye to Dalton. Uh, because, um, so what happened was 1995 rolls around. So this is the biggest gap between uh, Bond movies in the series from mm. 89 to 95. That's a six year gap. They were working on a third movie for Dalton, but because of some, uh, lawsuits and stuff that were happening in the background for Bond, mm. they couldn't get to work on production for a third one until it became kind of too late for Dalton to do a third movie and he actually stepped back because he didn't feel like 
uh, by the time they got around to it that he would be able to portray Bond in a proper way. So that opened the door for the original choice that they had in the late 80s, Mr. Pierce Brosnan. Oh, wow. Do we want to pause here and talk about the broccolis? Yes, let's do that. Okay. Okay, so I don't know if you guys have ever seen an opening credits sequence for a Bond movie, but there's always a funny last name that pops up as a producer, and it is Broccoli. The Broccoli family has been intimately connected with the Bond series since the 60s. Mm-hmm. Albert Broccoli was producing these films, and they, the Broccoli family owns... Um, a stake in the James Bond franchise. So they are major producers on every film. They have a huge say in who becomes the next Bond. And the family is still producing James Bond movies today. Yes, they are. Yes. Uh, You mentioned Albert Broccoli. um, So that actually segues into Goldeneye very well because Albert Broccoli, this is the last film he produces before he passes away. Uh Uh-huh. Ah. And actually, now that I say that, I'm thinking about the way the movies, the Pierce Brosnan's movies go. And it is diminishing returns each movie as it goes along, in my You're opinion. You're telling me. You're telling me. So let's start with, I believe, with the good, at least in my eyes, okay. maybe in your eyes, uh, GoldenEye 1995. Uh, Jessica, what is Goldeneye about? Years after a friend and fellow's double O agent is killed on a joint mission, a secret space-based weapons program known as Goldeneye is stolen. James Bond sets out to stop a Russian crime syndicate from using the weapon. It's directed by Martin Campbell, written by Michael France and Jeffrey Kane, and it stars Pierce Brosnan as James Bond, Famke Johnson as Senya on a top. <laughs> Famke Johnson, yep. <laughs> And Sean Bean as Alec Trevelyan. Ooh, Trevelyan? My God, how do you say that? Uh, Probably Trevelyan. Oh, God. Sorry. Sorry to that character. Um, Judy Dench's M. Isabella Skoropko as Natalia Simonova. And actually, this is the first movie with Judy Dench as M. Yes, it is. Yes, (laughs) it is. Okay, before we talk about the movie and, you know, everything leading up to it, Pierce Brosnan. So how do you feel about Pierce Brosnan's take on Bond? I think he's slimy. Okay. I think he's a little skeezy. Mm. I think that he has predator vibes. Ooh. Oh, okay. Sexual predator vibes. And this is the first. I've watched all Sean Connery, all Roger Moore, like all the Bonds. This is the first one where I feel icky to see Bond on screen. Ooh, okay. I see what you're saying. And... I apologize to Pierce Brosnan because I don't have anything personal against Pierce Brosnan. This is, I'm just going off of the movies. This is the bond that I grew up on mm-hmm. was me too. <laughs> the Pierce Brosnan movies. So, I mean, I feel like everyone is a little bit p- more partial to the bond that they were first introduced to. And this is the one for me. And I absolutely loathe his performance as bond. I grew up with this bond as well. Uh, and I will say that I think on paper, he looks like everything you would want Bond to be. Exactly. 
he has the look he he can give off the charm he can do the one-liners you know he could do action so like on paper he has everything you want Mm -hmm. but i do feel at times and as the series goes on where thing it just feels like something is missing in his portrayal and i feel like with each movie it's like he becomes a little more disinterested in the role yes and and a lot of that could be maybe his performance, but a lot of it could be due to the writing of these movies because this the writing has gone from Maybaum and company to total newcomers. Yeah, different people, and it does have diminishing returns. So let's let's start with Goldeneye. Um, before we do anything, the first <laughs> uh, song here is by. Uh, Tina Turner. It is called Goldeneye. And I want to know, what are your thoughts on Goldeneye? Um, a little good and a little bad. Okay. Not lasting in any way. Not lasting in any way. Is there anything yeah. that you... Well, what is the good, would you say, in the song? I think the voice is good. Yeah. The I, production is bad. Oh, okay. The production is bad. Uh, I think I'm a little more favorable than you on the song. I, mm-hmm. I I like Tina Turner's voice in it. And I think the production is, you know, it's solid. It was written by Bono and the Edge. Yes, it was. Which might have something to do with it because I don't really listen to Bono's music. Yeah, you're um, not a YouTube person, right? No. Gotcha. No. Fair enough. I'm early And I YouTube. don't like hate YouTube. I'm just like right. never seek it out in like 50 years of life, so. Gotcha. No, period. No problem at all. <laughs> uh, so I think overall, I, I like it a little more than you do. Uh, so I'll I see. Can tell. I'll see where <laughs> it ends up at the end when we do like our ranking of like the top five Bond songs. Now, in terms of audience and critics, critics seventy nine percent positive on Goldeneye, eighty three percent audience, which is a nice little Jeez. bump from the previous movies. So the cre- uh, critics' consensus reads, the first and best Pierce Brosnan Bond film, Goldeneye brings the series into a more modern context, and the result is a 007 entry that's high-tech, action-packed, and urbane. I don't know what urbane is supposed to mean, honestly. Oh, um, well. I if you want to take a look at that while I start us off. Okay, so I'm, let's start with M. Because I think this is a great introduction to... Um, okay, so urbane means courteous and refined in manner. Okay, interesting. Okay, so... I would have to disagree, but okay. Yeah, let's talk about Whatever. M. Let's talk about M, Judy Dench. Yes. This is the best thing that's ever happened to the Bond franchise, I feel, is the inclusion of Judy Dench as M. She is fantastic. She's fantastic. She walks all over Pierce Brosnan. And um, I absolutely adore her. She has this fantastic speech where her and Bond are actually having a one-on-one conversation that isn't explicitly about the mission. And she puts him in his place. She's tough, man. She goes, I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur, a relic of the Cold War. If you think for one moment I don't have the balls to send a man out to die, your instincts are dead wrong. I have no compunction about sending you to your death, but I won't do it on a whim, even for your cavalier attitude towards life. 
Yes. Oh my God. It's like they they put all of their brain power toward crafting this amazing dialogue for Judy Dench as M. <laughs> and the rest of the movie, they were like, we're done. We'll just like fill it in with stuff. Okay. Um, and also, that's not the only time that he kind of gets put in his place by someone because Money Penny even like, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Talks it back to him. So we have a new actress playing Money Penny yes. in, in this role. Samantha Bond. Samantha Bond, exactly. And he tries to say something to her and he and she like puts him in his place. Yeah, she says, you know, this sort of behavior Maybe. could be considered sexual harassment. Exactly. So we are dealing What I don't what I don't like though Go is ahead. that they have these smart lines, right? About, you know, feminist ideals are kind of cropping up in the Bond movies. And instead of her kind of ending it with this could be considered sexual harassment, she says the punishment will be someday you'll have to make good on all your innuendos. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So she's still flirting with him. You know what it is? The movie at the time that it was made obviously wanted to make a concerted effort to at least you know, call attention to what they've been criticized with all those years, which is that Bond is a sexist character. And, you know, he basically uses women on a whim and he will talk to them in ways that is inappropriate for a man to talk to a woman. And but the movies, especially like the Pierce Brosnan movies, kind of feel like they want to have their cake and eat it too, where they mm. they want to say like, yeah, no, here, look, yes. look what M says, look what Money Penny says. It's very self aware in that respect, but then it doesn't make any change to it. Truly, exactly, because we still have uh, a main character in this movie played by Famke Jensen, who is like an over sexualized character. Yes. Like even her name. Probably the most of any of, Bond girl. Oh, really. yeah, for sure. You know? um, she plays a character by the name of Xenia Onatop. And like, I mean, come on. The and last name. the way she uses her ability, her ability is to basically use her thighs to crush men's <laughs> torsos pretty much. So she uses that while she engages them in sex. Yes. And so we see a moment early on where she gets one guy and she kills this dude by crushing his, you know, like torso yeah, with her thighs. Yeah, she suffocates him. Yeah, maybe? like I like basically. It's she, unclear. It's unclear. And then she tries to She's do the same. She's basically an thing. anaconda with her. Yes, thighs. she is. <laughs> and she tries to do the same to Bond later on, twice. Uh, twice, yeah. Later on, so and so and the way she is portrayed is like overly sexual yeah uh we have not seen a character like that before she's like coming every like five minutes oh yeah the way she uh um, she's like oh, yeah. like literally like like she gets turned on by much. like the violence that she does yes like you hear her moaning when she's like yes shooting people. when she's shooting people to death yeah it is it is over the top i will say it's memorable but not in a good way just because of the fact that you remember all the choices that 
they made with this character that just seems like oof this is because she could have been real cool you know what i'm saying yeah she could have been a cool character she could have been real cool and And you know she's cool in real life because she also played um (laughs) she played jean gray jean gray in x-men i honestly feel like it had the potential as one of the best henchmen because she's not the ultimate villain the villain Mm -hmm. in this movie is sean bean sean bean's character that's the twist that's the twist Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> he comes back from the dead, and I put that in quotations, uh, because they faked his death at the beginning. I don't know why they faked his death. I don't get why they faked so, it. So this is part of why I dislike the movie. Okay. Is that his backstory is cobbled together in really five minutes of exposition where James Bond half the time is going, you're alive, you're alive, you're alive. I can't believe it. What happened? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And he explains that he's from some Russian family that betrayed Mother Russia. And so he became an orphan and then was taken in by MI6 and like became a double O. And so he has this sordid past and he it's like really messed up. Messed up in a way that the audience I don't feel is getting it. I'm not getting it. I'm just like trying to piece together what I understood. And, I and feel- it's not... It doesn't what is compelling about that, truly. And you've I would rather it just be a double O agent that went bad. Yes. I think that would be because you know what the best case scenario is with and you can see it in another franchise. It is in Mission Impossible in Ghost Protocol, where we have the evil villain used to be part of MI6 and he went rogue. And so mm-hmm. then he they carry that story on because he wanted to get back at the organization that made him do the things that he did. That would have been a cool way to, you know, make this character why he turned, you know, because they made him do things he didn't want to do or, you know, the reasoning should have been a little more clear. He had a little bit of good lines where he was talking about they take everything from us and they don't give us anything and just kind of general qualms with, uh, you know, the demands of an empire. Yes. Which I appreciated. Yes, exactly. That seemed very clever like yes, to put does. that in there. And it comes back also a little bit in Skyfall. Yes, it does. With that villain. With that so villain. again, it's like the seeds of a good idea. But executed terribly. Yes. I I will agree with you on it. Uh, One thing I will say before we wrap up GoldenEye. uh, What a hell of a sequence in the middle when they're on the chase scene and James Bond is in a tank. Oh, this movie is unapologetic. The stunts. The stunts. Going from Brosnan forward are balls to the wall. Yeah. Like, nonsense he bungee jumps in the opening sequence sequence off a dam yes yes he does it clearly not clear uh, not pierce Brosnan at all <laughs> but but there is a man <laughs> jumping off of a dam and it is incredible the footage is really cool they have a laser gun he's in a tank later on like casually ripping up the streets like fast five style yeah it's it, insane. But, you know it's insane. Like truly, it, they blow up like a, a station in Russia. It's like really yeah, just over the top. Um, I will say that what I think was a smart idea of that tank scene 
is having Bond like actually up kind of out driving it and not yeah. him like inside the tank where it like cuts back and forth. No, yeah, it's no, a, he's riding like right. Up it's a cool top. visual seeing yeah. him like driving it up top. So, uh, so I, I'll give it that. So, what did you give Goldeneye as a score? I ended up giving it a two out of five. Two out of five. Okay, I gave it a three out of five. I think that I, I do like somewhat the direction of a little more action because I'm always more geared to seeing more action, uh, but. That doesn't mean that I appreciate later on when it becomes way too much action and not enough plot. I just think that it didn't do the okay stuff good and the bad stuff was just too bad. Fair enough. You know, there was. (laughs) Did you like Minnie Driver, though? She was singing in a red cowboy hat in a Russian bar. (laughs) Stand by your man. Just so randomly. And I was like, is is that Mini Driver in Goldeneye? It was random. I I mean, I couldn't tell you. So, oh, this is the first time we hear about Bond and his parents dying in a climbing accident. Oh, yeah, that's right. We had never never heard heard of this backstory before. We just kind of assumed that. Something happened, you know, to right. his parents, but we didn't know exactly what. So they died in a climbing accident, and this is where they tell you. Yes, yeah, so, uh, so many movies later is when we finally mm-hmm. find out how, you know, at least you know well, how he was brought up and what happened to him early in his life. It would I can't move past this movie without mentioning uh, GoldenEye the video game, uh, N sixty four at the time no. Nintendo sixty four. <laughs> Hold on. Real quick, uh, GoldenEye, the video game, is probably one of the most influential first-person shooter games of all time. And I don't say that as hyperbole. I say that as, like, for real, like, it is a real thing. So this game was released in 1997 along with the movie, or two years after the movie. And in when it came out, the reception for this game... Um, it, it has sold more than 8 million copies worldwide, making it the third best-selling Nintendo 64 game behind Super Mario 64 and Mario Kart, like two oh, of the shit. biggest biggest games ever. And that game grossed $250 million worldwide from sales. I remember when I was young, I didn't have a Nintendo. I had a Sega Genesis, and I was like on the Sony side. But my friends who all had N64s, you look at their games list, GoldenEye was always in one of their games. Like, they had it. um, Hell, we even had an N64 night a couple years ago with a couple of friends. And GoldenEye was on one of them like, hey, this is the GoldenEye station. Whoever wants to play, this is the one we're playing on. And, like, it was like four hours of just guys, just like first-person shooter, you know, going around different places. So... It was a big deal. It's one of the biggest first-person shooter games of all time. So I I figure we should mention it just because of how big of a deal that game became. That's phenomenal. It it was huge. Wow. So uh, let's go ahead and let's talk about our next movie. Speaking of 1997, we are going to talk about Tomorrow Never Dies. Jessica, what is this movie about? 
James Bond sets out to stop a media mogul's plan to induce war between China and the UK in order to obtain exclusive global media coverage. It is directed by Rogers Spottiswood. Yes, Spottiswood. Uh, written by Bruce Fierstein, starring Pierce Brosnan, Jonathan Price as Elliot Carver, Michelle Yeoh as Y. Lin, Terry Hatcher as Paris Carver, Judy Dench is back as M. Desmond Llewellyn is back as Q and Samantha Bond is Money Penny. Right. Now, critics were not as favorable on this one. 56% from critics, 53% from audiences. So yes. both critics and audiences found this to be a rotten movie. So mm-hmm. the consensus reads as a competent, if sometimes by the numbers entry to the 007 franchise, Tomorrow Never Dies may not boast the most original plot, but its action sequences are genuinely thrilling. All right. Let's start with the Bond song. And I, you know, the Bond song to me, I don't think is very good. I hated it. It was very harsh on the ears. Tomorrow Never Dies, Sheryl Crow. It sounded like a No Doubt ripoff. Ooh. Oof. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sheryl Crow was so big in the late 90s. Oh yeah, so I, I understand. I love Crow myself, they, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I understand but the choice, song. but it doesn't make sense. Oh no, the song is not very good. Honestly, the song at the end, in the end credits, that is performed by Katie Lang, is a better song than the Cheryl Crow song that plays at the beginning of the movie. So, like, honestly, they could have done a better job just putting that Katie Lang song at the beginning, and <laughs> it would have been a more memorable one, but. That's besides the point. So neither you or I really like this song. No. All right. Let's talk about – let me talk about – let's talk about the Bond girls first on this one. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. I'm going to start with Terry Hatcher because I think this let's is the bad. Because okay. Terry Hatcher I don't think has that great a chemistry with Pierce Brosnan. Okay. So we disagree on that. Oh, Okay. Yes. Keep going with your thing. So my thing is I feel like it feels like the two of them are kind of butting heads throughout the movie. Obviously, it's supposed to show the dynamic that, you know, she doesn't like them at first and their exes, (laughs) obviously. And then, you know, it's supposed to, you know, grow from there. Uh, But and what I read about this uh, particular making of this movie, this movie apparently was a shit show to make. Oh, uh, I feel it. Apparently, no one liked each other behind the scenes. Uh, and even Terry Hatcher had a problem with Pierce Brosnan. And Pierce Brosnan even said that uh, Terry Hatcher was a, l- a little bit prickly towards him. But what he didn't know was that she was pregnant while filming that movie. Terry oh. Hatcher. Right. And so he stepped back and apologized for the comments that he made about it. So I don't think that they are, you know, like the greatest couple that we've seen. No, they're not. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Um, I agree with that. Obviously good looking people, but, you know, I I don't feel like the chemistry is quite there between them. Okay, I'll jump in. So she's definitely hostile toward Bond, their exes. He up and left, never came back. That's how their relationship ended. So I completely feel like that's a valid, you know, way to be that for them to be hostile toward each other, especially on her part. Um, I found her to be a chink in the armor for Bond. 
Mm. Because not a lot of people truly get under Bond's skin. You know, throughout all the movies, like he's kind of taking it with a grain of salt. Like he's a spy. He has to get in people's bed, get in um, people's heads. And he really can't um, be vulnerable in that respect. And so I felt like she was like an itch he couldn't scratch. And there was a particularly scene where I thought that the scene turned out really well. When she started saying, um, you know, I used to search the newspapers every day for your obituary. Ah, yes. And as soon as she said that line, I was like, oh, this whole thing changed. Like the dynamic in the room kind of changed between them. And actually the musical score helped a lot in that scene where it started to get actually more um, softened. It was more romantic. It was more orchestral. And I quite like that segue into, of course, they have sex. And then, you know, all hell breaks loose after that. Right. I, I didn't think that Terry Hatcher was doing anything particularly wrong. And she was barely in the movie. Right, that's true. And of course she dies. She gets killed. Of course. By her husband. (laughs) (laughs) So it just seemed like, you know, okay. Right. Not the worst thing. And in terms of someone who needed to have more chemistry with him, I felt like Michelle Yeoh was the true Bond girl of this movie. She is. And I didn't feel like they were particularly like, you know lovers either (laughs) no they weren't can i say one thing michelle yo does her best to try to steal this movie from she does i would argue that she does steal it yeah you know what i'm gonna go ahead and agree with you because she steals the movie from pierce brosnan and doesn't give it back like her her basically almost introduction is like when she's kicking all these guys asses and finally bond comes in to land one punch but like she's been like kicking all these different dudes asses and she is in command of everything she does throughout the movie. Like she, it, in all reality, she almost doesn't need Bond's help at all to accomplish no. anything she does. <laughs> and funny enough, uh, they were thinking about making a spinoff movie for her. Would have worked. But the producers did not believe that she could carry a movie on her own. <laughs> Because of stupid reasons. So we never got the movie. We could have had a Chinese spy. Yeah, we could have had a Waylon movie. With Michelle Yeoh. Yes, we could have. But, you know, Hollywood at the time. It would have worked. Of course it would have. Of course. It would have worked. She's amazing. She's She's a stunt woman, basically. Yeah, so. An actress that can do all the action. Oh, yeah. So good. All right. So now. I, let's talk about the villain. I honestly hated the villain. The plot is so stupid. It's awful. An evil media mogul wants his empire to be on top with the best bad news stories. And first of all, I know him as Kira Knightley's dad in Pirates of the Caribbean. So <laughs> I was very taken aback when this guy was out here like murdering people left and right and like, ha, 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 I want exclusive Chinese rights to me. I was like, no, sweetie, like this is not working. I did not feel like he was menacing. I did not feel that like he was a threat. So dumb. He was a psychopath. And, you know, it just. Who decided that Jonathan Price was going to be a Bond villain in what world? No. And and for the dumbest reason too, like I yes. want to be the biggest media mogul in the world. Like that. Can I just say that this movie is dreadfully dated? Mm, yes dreadfully dated yeah, so can. he he starts video chatting with like minions at some point and one of the minions says 
that the software is ready, but it's riddled with bugs, so they'll have to keep updating, which felt way too prophetic to me. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, no, that's not how we live now, is it? Um, And then another guy says, consider him slimed. Slimed. (laughs) Slimed. I was like, could what? Consider him slimed. Is this Nickelodeon? Did Nickelodeon have a say in like the dialogue in a Bond movie? Oh, man. That's funny. So I was completely just in awe of this. Yeah. The, the audacity to have this Bond villain. And this is not to say that every Bond villain is a great Bond villain no. and isn't cartoony. They are. But this one is just. It's just a dumb plot. Oh, my God. It's, it's, it's so not dumb. interesting. Like, obviously, like, there's some lazy plots where, oh, I want to, you know, take over the world or whatever. Laziness. But Stole th- a nuke. Of course. Yeah, you of course. But like this one's just dumb. It's like I want to control information or the way it's distributed. The whole thing eh. about the creation of fake news. Pretty much. Is what the plot is. He's that, creating his own <sighs> fake news. Awful. He's manipulating the news. There's so, so many ways is, you could take that in today's. <laughs> I know context. in today's era, I'm just like, Lord, I can't watch this Bond movie. Um, what did you think of the cinematography on this one? We haven't really talked about the way Bond movies look, but right. this one in particular was firmly turn of the millennium. And that's my least favorite look on a movie. Um, okay. So I will say that if, if we're talking Everything about Everything has movies, like a blue tint. Yes. People have bleached hair. Yes. <laughs> and so it's, just, it's such of its time. Yes. Because like you were saying, that blue tint thing, uh, Hollywood. It felt like a music video. Oh, that's good. Or like that's a made a for TV movie. Yeah, that's a good way of describing that's, it. A that's music video. the look of it. It looked like a music video or a made for TV movie. I will say this is that Hollywood kind of discovered a thing like in the mid 90s where uh, they, you know, like blue and orange are colors that like produce in, in people's minds like different types of emotions and reactions. So you'll see not only movies like have tints of like blue and orange. So like, you know, obviously something blowing up red and orange, the tints and the hues being blue. Uh, Movie posters are the same way. If you look at action movie posters from the last 25 years, 30 years, they kind of all have a similar way of going about them. So yes, it's very of its time. I think that Goldeneye, I like the way that movie looks, but then as the movies progress, they they really worse. lean into like the late nineties aesthetic of a way an action movie was filmed during that time. So I, I will agree with you that it, it's not good and it does get worse as oh, we go along. Yeah. So, so you know what else gets worse? The puns get worse. Ooh, ooh, oh. The puns. Money Penny calls James while he's in bed with a with a rando. It's the beginning of the movie, and before she hangs up, she says, "You are always a cunning linguist, James." I cannot believe they put that in there. <laughs> I, I couldn't I believe it. Fell off the couch. I almost fell down. It was so bad. I was shocked. Shocked. You, um. It, she turns to M later and says, "Don't ask." After she hangs up with James Bond. And M says, don't tell. Don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. Yeah. Is a line. That's a line in this movie. movie. Um, 
when you the pumper for information. <laughs> oh my god. M says pump her for information, and Money Penny says that he has to determine how much pumping is needed. Oh my god. The the <laughs> sexual innuendos are so over the top as oh. we go through these movies. Shit. How does it end? I feel like it ends in a because this one is with uh, oh, how does the movie end? Yeah. Does it end with... They like, blow up of, that ship. Right. The stealth ship. Everyone dies. Yes. Michelle Yeoh and Bond, um, they make it out. Yeah, they make it out. But I was thinking because the last couple of uh, Pierce Brosnan movies end with him with a woman. A classic Moore ending. Yeah, classic Moore ending and with some like terrible line. Which will probably get to the worst one in the next movie, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes, we will. Yeah, we will. Okay, so oh, God. before okay. we leave, I this don't remember movie, exactly how that ends, but what did you give the score for this movie? I gave this one a one and a half. Got it. I gave it a two and a half. Oh, okay. So I'm very harsh on you're the harsh movies. on this one, and you're harsh on Brosnan as well yeah. overall. Okay, so let's move on to the next movie, uh, 1999, like. They were, you know, getting these out there quick. Uh, 1999, The World is Not Enough. This movie opened at the same day as Titanic. No, I'm sorry. The last movie did. The last movie, 1997, Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Box office-wise, I I haven't mentioned this yet, but as the movies go, each movie tops the last one box office-wise. So each movie breaks its own like highest mark of the franchise. Uh-huh. But um I kind of put a little like, you know, you got to take that with a bit of salt because of the fact that like movie budgets got out of control in the 90s. So like for example, GoldenEye made uh 130 something million domestic, but it only cost 50 something to make. Mm. But the very next movie, which was Tomorrow Never Dies, also made 130 something million, but the budget was doubled for that movie. Oh, so. Yeah. yeah. So it was not, they didn't make a a lot on their gross on that one. So 1999, The World is Not Enough. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about this movie? James Bond uncovers a nuclear plot. Oh my God, nuclear. While protecting an oil heiress from her former kidnapper, an international terrorist who can't feel pain. It's directed by Michael Apted. Is that how you say his name? Yeah. I don't know. Written by Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, and Bruce Fierstein. It stars Pierce Brosnan, Sophie Merceau. Merceau? Merceau. As Electra. Okay. Merceau. As Electra King. She is the French princess from Braveheart. Yes, she is. It also stars Robert Carlyle as Renard. He's the man who feels no pain from the IMDb synopsis. He plays Rumpelstiltskin from Once Upon a Time. (laughs) Denise Richards plays Dr. Christmas Jones. Robbie Coltrane plays Valentin Zukovsky. He is Hagrid from Harry Potter to many of us. And of course, Judy Dench is back as M, Desmond Llewellyn is Q, Samantha Bond is Money Penny, with the addition of John Cleese as R. So, uh, in terms of critics, critics gave this movie a 52%, yeah. uh, 49% from audience, and the critics' consensus reads as plagued by mediocre writing, 
uneven acting. In a fairly by-the-numbers plot, The World is Not Enough is partially saved by some entertaining and truly Bond-worthy action sequences. I'm going to push back on that one in a second. <laughs> All right, so let's start with the Bond song. The Bond song is The World is Not Enough uh, by the band Garbage. What did Fitting. you think? Fitting name for the band because this Bond song is just slimy. That is the main word that I wrote down here. Slimy. So we disagree on this one. Oh, my God. Because I actually like this song. Oh, no. I do. Oh, I my think God. That, I think it is such – maybe what I'm being influenced by is the fact that it is such a departure from the previous Bond theme songs. That's absolutely true. It's a departure, and maybe that's clouding my vision, but I do like the way the melody and the song goes throughout. So so you and I are different on, on this Bond song. We're way off. Yeah, we are very different <laughs> on this, on this Bond one. song. All right, so let's talk about a couple of the additions. Uh, let's start with R, uh, John, John Cleese's Cleese. R. Or John Cheese. <laughs> Oh, God. All right. So John Cleese makes his appearance first time in the series as R. He is very obviously the replacement for Q. And because Q is still the quartermaster, he is given R as his name. I love John Cleese, period. In pretty much anything that he does, I love John Cleese. I don't think he's the right guy for the Q job. Yes, I was I was waiting for you to say that because I was hoping that you would say that because I think he's a bit too silly for He is that. too silly. He's too slapstick. He's too he has such a young vibe about him. And Q has always been a very sophisticated older gentleman. Yes. And he's almost like the babysitter in a sense for when Bond goes to the toy shop, he's like, please take care of my shit. Right. You know, bring it back in one piece. And he's always like, come on, Bond, like grow up. Always telling him to grow up and get serious. And John Cleese is not serious. He's not a babysitter. No. So, I mean. A little eccentric in a way. Eccentric is a great word for him. And honestly, I feel like Desmond Llewellyn, Llewellyn has been with Bond since the beginning. He's very old. And I was fully expecting an actor to come in who was younger, not young, young, like 20s, 30s, but definitely no white hair. <laughs> right. But they so, grab another person. But with they white grab hair. another person that's close to retirement. So that didn't make any sense to me. Right. Uh, so I, I wanted to add this for Desmond Llewellyn's cue. Uh, so. They didn't want to. Final. This is his final appearance. Movie. And the reason why is because. Uh, they didn't want to do like a send off or anything, but it kind of happened because he happened to pass away in a car accident months after the production of the movie. Oh. So in a way, it almost was a send off because they brought in his replacement in the same movie right? Uh, to kind of take over what he wouldn't be able to do. He wasn't going to be able to be as physical with his performance just because he was starting to get up there in age. So that is just on a side note there. Uh, let's go ahead and let's talk about the villains. 
and I say villains because yeah. uh, Robert Carlyle, his character of Renard is the one labeled, I guess, as the main villain. He's the MacGuffin villain. He's the MacGuffin villain because the real villain of this movie is Electra King. Yes. And, okay, so. <laughs> Talk to me. You right. have thoughts. I have thoughts. And I think this is just my, let's see, 1999. This is probably my 12-year-old brain kind of like thing. But I had like the hugest crush on Sophie Marceau. She's stunning. Yes, incredible. So I really enjoy when the movie is actually centered on her and Bond. I feel the movie has a little more of a serious tone when it's between the two of them. She lends a lot of gravitas. She does. Uh, The fact like early on, like we see that uh, kidnapping video that she's. Oh my God, the kidnapping video. Yeah. Jesus. That was, I mean, that was a lot of, a lot. Yeah, it was a lot, but like, Sophie brings a great performance to that. And I really feel that you believe her. You believe her. Yes. And I feel like the movie works well when it's between the two of them and they are the ones going after each other, Bond and Electra King. So Renard just feels like he feels like the henchman. He feels like the secondary villain that Bond has to go through. I almost wish he wasn't even there and that Renard was like maybe a creation, just like a phantasm. Yeah. Versus he's a real person and actually had so much influence over Electra. Yeah, I didn't appreciate that. And if you look at it, this is kind of the first Bond movie where the female is the antagonist, is the villain. Yes, not a henchman. Not a henchman. Like Grace like Jones. In- Yes, like Grace Jones or um, uh, Xenia, Fam K okay, Jensen. Xenia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they're a henchman. No, she is the villain, and mm-hmm. you know the back and forth with her and Bond. I think works very well. Renard just feels like I. I wish it would have been flipped, and he would have been killed off first earlier on, and the big ending sequence would have been Bond going after Elektra. They tried to make him a bit of a super soldier. Yeah. Where he Feels can't no feel pain. any pain and all this stuff. Like he's basically going to get stronger until he just keels over because of the bullet. Didn't really appreciate that. I thought that was hand holding. It was. And another person that joined the, the cast in this one was Robbie Coltrane. Uh, people know him as Hagrid from Harry Potter. Um, it's a small role. It's it's small not like role. big role, but you know, no. just. I think it probably could have used more Robbie Coltrane. To could've. be quite honest with you, and um, the stuff that he had wasn't that good. No, it wasn't. Like, wasn't well written. Wasn't like a lot. So I would appreciate a better written Robbie Coltrane role, and maybe dump Renard in favor of more Coltrane. Yeah, that I think that's a better angle to go by. That would have improved the movie to me. <laughs> and now we have to talk about. Denise Richards. Denise freaking Richards. Dr. Christmas Jones. Okay. So I was a little bit asleep when she was introduced in the movie. And I didn't go back to watch her introduction. But what I gathered was that she was a nuclear engineer. 
That is correct. Knew how to disarm nuclear bombs that and explosives. Correct. And kind of came out of nowhere and was a little bit, no, not a little bit, very much dead weight to Bond for the latter hour of the movie. Yes. I, yeah, you are spot on. Okay. Denise Richards was kind of the it girl of that time period in Hollywood. She had come off of, um, I can't remember the teen movie, but the big movie that she had just come off of was uh, Wild Things with Nev Campbell and Kevin Bacon. And so they just want, I my guess is they just wanted that like hot celebrity type of thing that she was, she was the it girl at the moment. So they wanted her in the movie, but like, you don't buy her as anything. I don't buy she's her selling for a second. No, I don't even buy her wardrobe. No, no. I'm like, Denise would never. <laughs> no. <laughs> and she's not a very good actress. No, she is just there as sexual appeal. That's it. Yep. That is yep. it. And that kind of brings us to one of the worst lines probably in in the Bond franchise. I don't – you say it. Fine. I'll say it. Uh, at the end, of course, Bond and Dr. Christmas Jones are together at the end. And as they are having sex, Bond says, I thought Christmas came once a year. <laughs> I thought Christmas only comes once a year. Right. So, yeah, it it's um ill to the heat signature footage of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have nightmares. It nightmares. Oof, it is so cringeworthy. Uh, yeah, it is. It it's it's very cringeworthy. Uh this is a low that yeah. that is a low for the franchise. I still want to pay attention to the positives. So before we leave, the world is not enough behind. What did you give the movie as a score? I gave this one <laughs> two out of five. I gave it a two and a half out of five. Oh, okay. And it's mostly because I feel that the Marceau and Brosnan parts of the movie really help it from being a total catastrophe. It, yeah, and the stunts, I would say. Yeah, I think you know, the, there's a speedboat chase. I like on the, the speedboats. Yeah, at the beginning of the movie, I do like that chase at the beginning. It's not a bad chase. Felt like a nod a little bit to Moore because Moore had like three or four speedboat chases. Yeah, he did. I found it funny that Brosnan gets absolutely drenched as the boat's more like a jet ski, and the boat even like submerges for a minute. Like he's just completely drenched. Yes, from he head is. To toe. <laughs> Um, he jumps the boat on land and it has wheels. Like that's definitely a more movie. You see the O2 Arena. Yeah. You almost never see the O2 Arena in a in films and stuff. So I was like, oh my god, um, very cool. Did you like the? Uh, <laughs> oh god, the explosion with. Um, actually, no, it's not an explosion. Forget I said that. <laughs> the skiing. Oh. Because we ski with an heiress all over again. Yes. Felt very on Her Majesty's Secret Service with Roger, with not with Roger Moore, with um, George Lazenby. Yep. You know what? I think we don't even need to put that caveat anymore because mm. 
Bond just loves to ski. Every iteration of Bond has had some type of snow skiing. She asked him if he likes if he can ski, and I'm like, can he ski? Uh, boy, wait till you see him ski in he high pressure. He was in the Olympics. <laughs> he can bobsled. Oh my god! Just wait till you see him. He has years of experience, oh especially god. in high pressure situations. <laughs> um. They, the flooded set at the end, though, with the submarine oh, yeah, yeah. deal, that was actually kind of cool. I was like, this feels very post-Titanic in a good way. In a good way. Yes, mm-hmm. I, I will agree. So 1999 was a loaded year, so a lot of people look past this movie, and rightfully so. It's, it's not the best sucks. Bond movie at all. By and large, it sucks. Yeah. And yeah, it's just like a forgotten piece of pop culture because 1999 was stacked, just a stacked year in movies. So I feel like the 90s were a good decade. They were a good decade. They were. Yeah. So now we move to the final Bond film. (laughs) 2002, Die Another Day. Oh, boy. I'll give you the synopsis. Yes. I'll give you Please synopsis. do. Okay. James Bond is sent to investigate the connection between a North Korean terrorist and a diamond mogul who is funding the development of an international space weapon. It is directed by Lee Tamahori, written by Neil Purvis and Robert Wade. It stars Pierce Brosnan once again, Halle Berry as Jinx, Rosamund Pike as Miranda Frost, Toby Stevens as Gustav Graves, the villain, Rick Yin as Zhao Judy Dench back as M. John Cleese fully formed as Q. Samantha Bond is Money Penny once again. And we'll throw in Michael Madsen as Damian Falco and William Lee as Colonel Moon. Yes. Okay. All right. So let's start with the song. Well, no, let's, before we get to the song, um, okay. critics, 56%. So it's like right in line with the last two movies by Bond. 41% audience, so it's even worse. And the critic consensus states, its action may be a bit too over the top for some. Oh, that's putting it lightly. But Die Another Day is lavishly crafted and succeeds in evoking classic Bond themes from the franchise's earlier installments. I don't know what movie they're watching. It's giving it way too much credit. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so let's talk about the Bond song. Die Another okay. Day by Madonna. Okay. So this is the only Bond movie in our journey that I actually watched with my sister. Okay. We were appalled. Appalled by this Bond song. This like song we had no words. Sucks. It is so bad. <laughs> this song is bad. It's a techno auto-tuned mess of a Bond song. It's terrible. Die another day. <laughs> Die. <laughs> <laughs> Are you laughing at my my singing or no, like the I'm moves? laughing at the like moves that you were doing <laughs> into the camera. So, yeah, the, the the song is terrible. And to make matters worse, Madonna has a cameo in this movie. Oh my god. It's Get like the a con- fuck out. I think it was like a contractual obligation type of thing. It's like, "Oh, if you want me to do the Bond song, I have to be in the I movie." I want to be in the movie. She is a f- professional fencer. <laughs> Rosamund Pike is her protege. <laughs> oh, fantastic. I literally have in Terrible. my notes, Madonna in the movie in all caps. Like it's 
ridiculous. It's it's a bad. It's bad. Uh, okay, so in this movie, we have two Bond girls to talk about. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. So let's talk about. And we don't mean Madonna. No, we do not mean <laughs> Madonna. No, we don't mean. <laughs> oh no, you did. <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, so first, let's talk about Halle Berry. Let's. She plays Jinx. She is just coming off of her Oscar win uh, in real life uh, yes. for Monsters Ball. And I think she's good. I I think that you do. I think she's good. Not. I don't think she's like the best Bond girl. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying she's the best. Well, okay. I think she's good. Like she she's serviceable to the point. Listen to this. That they were going to make a spinoff for no, her. Shut up. Hold on. They hired a director. They. But what happened was. Catwoman was released. Oh. And then no. the studio got scared, backed off. So yeah. Kind of sucks. But yeah, I would be scared as a as a studio as well after seeing the performance of Catwoman and just watching the movie. And they, oh no. Awful. <laughs> just watching the movie. That movie is yeah. atrocious. Anyway. Okay, so, well, speaking of atrocious, I feel like the dialogue in this movie is atrocious. Okay, the dialogue is terrible. And that's part of the reason why I'm like, are you sure Halle Berry was a, was a good character? I think that she was terribly written. Yes, okay, so I agree with that part. She is It's like someone written. just wanted to montage cool moments together, and then they were like, oh yeah, we need her to say something. So then it's... Just these really bad back and forth dialogue. Oh my god! She starts talking with Pierce Brosnan at the beach about predators. Yeah, it's this most bizarre conversation ever. It is so cringeworthy, and she's trying so hard to make it good. You know, just sell it, and it's bad. There's no helping it. The more you, the more you mention it, the more I'm, I'm coming to your side. Yeah. Uh, the only yeah. good thing that Halle Berry did was the slow motion emerging from the water. That's a holy that's shit! A iconic visual. Icon. Yes, that is so good. Her name Jinx. No. No. It's Get the fuck out. Whatever. Uh, so we have another Bond girl. We do. And this is Rosamund Pike playing Miranda Frost. This is actually one of uh, Rosamund Pike's first roles. Yes, she looks super young in this. She does look super young. Uh, this character is fine. Nothing to write home about. No. I think most – no. Okay, the good parts of this movie is n- like not even that good. But the bad of this movie is like god-awful. The action sequences are make no sense. Laughable. Laughable, especially the CGI on some Ooh. of them. Like Ooh. the worst moment is like that tidal wave thing that Bond is like parish surfing on. Like that is. I have no words for that. Oof. I literally watched it with like, I had my hand over my mouth. Like it was, it was bad. So atrocious. Did they even try? I mean, 
No, it, it's bad. It's bad. It's like bad. Matrix came out in the same time frame. Yeah, they, yeah, it did. And what the hell were they doing with the budget on to die another day? The CGI was, I mean, not even <laughs> so good enough for a Backstreet terrible. Boys video ten years ago. Oh God, yeah, you're right. Uh, and then you know what I'm saying. I totally understand what you're saying. And then just to make matters worse, your villains and your henchmen are not good like that villain sucks gus okay gustav graves gustav Graves. well first of all it is the north korean general colonel moon from the beginning of the movie he goes through dna conversion dna transplant i think is what they yeah. call it and becomes a white man <sighs> this would never fly of course today. not <laughs> and honestly, it is so bad. Even like I, I remember watching this movie as a kid. I did not think that was like, oh my god, like the pinnacle of like no. mastermind. Like no. Let me ask you this: Do you think the movie would have been better if Colonel Moon was like the actual villain, like that character, the way it stayed? If it would have stayed that way. Would have been a, I think it would have been better. I it would have so. been a grittier movie. Yeah. But the movie feels so over the top mm-hmm. with everything mm-hmm. it does. It doesn't make sense. It's like trying to get from set piece to set piece, but there's no bridge. There's no, connect, no connection there. They didn't even bother with developing this plot. Like Halle Berry comes in like, who is she? Why is she? Why does she want to do all this? Like it's you kind of just gather that she's a spy as well like yeah not, it's it's not good it's not enough to build the movie to a the coherent only, thing right the only cool thing i found was that rick yun had a face full of diamonds for the whole movie yeah. and i was like that's freaking sick like that's <laughs> that's cool. that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah um but no teeth for who who betrays bond at the beginning of the movie Someone blows his cover and like the whole movie, they're like, who betrayed you? And he's like, I'll find out. Like, who the hell cares? Yeah, it, I don't think it matters. It didn't matter. To the plot. Yeah. It's it's just dumb. The other good thing about this movie is when they cut to Cuba, they finally have some good music. Yes. Oh, my God. And then they start playing the Bond theme on the Spanish guitar. Oh, my God. I was like, okay, I see you. I, I see, see you. what you're trying to do. I didn't like the Cuban insider who was like praising communism in the middle of the movie. Oof. Did you see that? Oof. Just man. He was like, he was like, we may have lost our freedom in the revolution, but we have a health system second to none. I was like, the fuck did you just say? <laughs> did you Bro, hear yourself? Look, for those who don't know about the Cuban politics, and mm. especially with people in Florida who have dealt with it personally firsthand and have, you know, emigrated to the United States from Cuba, you know, or not even emigrated, just escaped Cuba. Right, right. Um, You'll know why that is such a bad concept to put in a movie with so many people who have just died because of that regime. Just, you know, hold like... I don't mind you going to Cuba. I don't mind no. the Cuban insider being in nope. there. Like, I don't even mind the line that he says one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Like, that's pretty deep. Like, not gonna lie. 
but why is he sitting in an armchair like praising communism to Bond? And Bond's like, it seems like you made out okay. Like what? Right. It, it, it's it's not understanding a certain part of the country. Deaf. It's tone deaf. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, I think that Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, who are the writers of this movie. I don't think they knew what the hell they were getting themselves into. And I don't think they knew what the hell they were writing. I think they Mm -hmm. were just trying to do, like you said, get from set piece to set piece. And it is a failure. Honestly, Mm -hmm. I, I think this might be the worst bomb movie. Yeah. This might be the worst bomb movie. Mm -hmm. And I don't really have anything else to say except for this movie sucks and <laughs> oh i have stuff to say oh go ahead i have a couple things to say so bond and jinx have sex right yes they do she pulls out a knife mid coitus to open a piece of fruit where the hell was she hiding that knife and the piece of fruit <laughs> uh, it was so a good awkward question you want to answer it was so awkward and then bond is actually shown having sex this is the first time that yeah. I have ever seen Bond like having sex, not like cut away, not just like making out like for real. So that was jarring to me. And I'm not <laughs> I'm no prude. I've seen Bond before. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, oh, my God, I know I've never seen this before. Um, the diamond villain. Yeah. Gustav, he parachutes into London with a Union Jack flag on the parachute. It's a direct homage to Moore's The Spy Who Loved Me stunt. Yeah, but why does the villain get to do that? I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I have the line here. I have been known to keep my tip up. Oh, yeah, when he's doing the fencing. Oof. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, no, not great. Not great. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, anything else? <laughs> I I do oh, see oh. what you're saying about Bond's per- or Pierce Brosnan's portrayal. Like you, yes. you say like sleazy and like, you know, kind of gross and very Grossero. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand it because the way his character is written and the way he portrays it does let lead to that ickiness. Yes. I, I understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Bond does put a gun under his pillow. And that's exactly what Terry Hatcher asked him about in Tomorrow Never Dies. Mm. Do you still sleep with a gun under your pillow? And he does it. In and this he movie. does it. Yeah. Yeah, he does. So. Is the worst joke the Yo Mama joke from Halle Berry? Ooh, that's a bad one. Ooh. That is a bad Ooh. one. Ooh. <laughs> do, you, do you have that quote or no? She said, um, <laughs> what is the villain asked her something? I can't remember what it is. Oh, who sent you? And she says, yo, mama, and then continues a joke. Like, she told me whatever and continues. And I, it's it's awful. I would like to go ahead and retract my statement about Halle Berry <laughs> being good. I'm going to retract that statement. I pulled up receipts. Yeah, you did. Thank you for that. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. you doing that. So... I'm going to go ahead and tell you my score for the movie. I think we may right, have the right same ahead. score. It's oh, okay. 1.5. So do I. I have I've ranked it 1.5. Yeah. This I think this is the lowest rating I've given a Bond movie. 
It's. Uh, I, think I think this is tied with another one. You for maybe. you, yeah, right, yeah. You did one and a half on this on is another one. <laughs> this is tied with tomorrow never dies. Gotcha. The Michelle yeah. Yeoh one. Mm-hmm. I think the Michelle Yeoh one's better than this one. I can't rewatch any of this. No, I'm not saying rewatch, so but like no, but you know. Yeah, I know what you're saying. So okay, so we ended Bro- Pierce Brosnan's reign on Bond with a whimper. <laughs> yeah, it is not a great way to end, but no. there is hope on the horizon. <laughs> Because we are now about to enter the Daniel Craig era. Oh, my God. And we got some good stuff in there. Holy shit. There's a some, you know, a little bit of like, you know, not yeah. so great stuff, but mm-hmm. nothing near as bad as what's going on in this era for yes. Pierce Brosnan. Uh, so I'm excited to talk about the Daniel Craig movies. I'm ecstatic. Yes. So. I can't- Way to talk about him. So you'll be hearing from us about Daniel Craig very, very soon. Because not only are we going to cover his movies, which are four movies at this point, but we're also Mm -hmm. going to be covering his last ride as Bond in No Time to Die. Yes. Which comes out today, if you're listening to this as it's released. So hopefully you guys check it out. Let us know what you think about it. Let us know what you think about Daniel Craig's Bond or even the Bonds that we talked about on this episode. We would love to hear your thoughts. If you liked any of the movies, if you liked the portrayals, go ahead and hit us up on social media at Always Critic Pod. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Go ahead and write to us. Let us know what you thought about Pierce Brosnan and Timothy Dalton's portrayal of Bond. And if you could, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and many more. Uh, Go ahead and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way for us as a show. And finally, if you really want to support the show, go ahead and check out patreon.com slash alwayscriticpod. There you could subscribe and help us out on the show by supporting us uh, monthly much cheaper than a cup of coffee even from a cup of coffee from dunkin donuts is it's even cheaper than that so that's how you could support us so we could create more things for the show more content for you guys to listen to and you know help us out with producing this show that would be a great help so with all that said this has been our show i'm rico and i'm jessica and this has been the always the critic podcast (laughs) 